Well, this morning we're getting back to the book of James, looking in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, uh, just simply titled the message, Gaining the World, Losing the Soul, uh, because I believe that is kind of what James is alluding to uh, in this passage this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and that passage is directed to both the church, and there is some hints in there uh, that it may be directed to some lost people. When we get to chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 that we're going to look at uh, next week, uh, it is directed to the church. Uh, many scholars feel that verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, though, uh, is directed to lost people, to lost rich men. And there's some uh, good evidence of that. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, gives us two reasons why he feels that it is uh, directed to lost people. Uh, one, he says that it is uh, a message to the faithful, uh, the Christians, the believers, that they would hear the miserable end of these non-believers and not envy their wealth. Now, that would make good sense when you uh, read the, the passage that we're going to look at and understand the context of what is going on. Remember, the book of James is written in the midst of persecution. Uh, the church is being persecuted for their faith. And so James is giving us a picture here of those who are, are oppressing them and persecuting them uh, and have abused their wealth. And once again, I'll just say right at the outset, uh, I've said this many, many times, and I think you are well aware of this, uh, the Bible never condemns rich people. It never condemns wealth. What it condemns is the abuse and the misuse of wealth. And using wealth to oppress the poor or gaining wealth by oppressing the poor, uh, which is exactly what is happening uh, here in this passage. And we'll see that when we get to verse 4 uh, there. And so he says that, it, that, that Calvin says it is written to the, that the faithful might hear the message and see the miserable end uh, of these lost people and not envy uh, their wealth. The second reason Calvin says, and I think this is a good one as well, uh, that they know that God would avenge the wrongs that they have suffered uh, and that uh, they might bear their, their suffering during this time. They are being abused by the poor, taken to court, uh, wages being withheld from them, all of these things that are going on. And so James is writing uh, and, and describing lost people but encouraging believers to persevere to the end, uh, to hang on to what God has called them to do. It reminded me of what we're looking at in the book of Colossians, and I started it Wednesday night. I don't know if you have uh, listened to that or not and looked at that video, uh, but this week we're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 14 from Colossians chapter 1. I was supposed to look at verses 9 through 14 Wednesday, but we only got through verse 9 um, anyway. Um, but verse uh, 11 is the key verse, but I want to read verses 9, uh, 10, and 11 uh, to you here uh, from Colossians chapter 1 because I think it ties right along with what we're looking at that the faithful would continue to trust in God and continue to seek Him. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Colossae. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, heard of their faith, if you read the first eight verses, you'll see that, uh, the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And it speaks of Paul's prayer life and his concern for the church and to desire that you might be filled, overflowing with the knowledge of God's will. 
We talked about that two weeks ago, how the, uh, the people that James is writing to ultimately had an arrogant disregard for God's will. They're just making all their plans and leaving God out of this, the equation. And so I think Paul, uh, this passage here just ties right along with it, that they may be filled with the knowledge that is knowing in an intimate, personal way, experiential knowledge, God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And here's the reason for that, verse 10 that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, that you might please the Lord in everything about you, in your everyday life. To walk worthy is your lifestyle, your conduct that Paul is talking about here. And I won't say a whole lot about this because I want to save it for Wednesday night, amen? And you'll tune me out on Wednesday night if I go ahead and say too much now, right? I got a lot more, okay? Uh, But anyway, to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, growing in Christ. And then here it is in verse 11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience. Now, Paul is in prison, and he's writing here that they might be filled with all patience. The idea is steadfastness here. It is refusing to buckle under pressure, refusing to buckle under the pressure of the world to bear up under that pressure. In other words, it's what James is saying here, or Calvin said about the reason for the writing, is that the believers would would understand that God's judgment is coming and that they might remain steadfast and, and keep doing what God has called them to do. So it's patience to bear up. Long suffering here, the idea of long suffering is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I see some of these videos that's going around with all of the rioting and things, and, and I, I could not be a police officer, Brother Billy. Just could not do it. Because I see all of those people getting right in the face of those police officers and yelling and screaming and saying all kinds of things about them and to them, and they just stand there. That is the picture of this long-suffering. The ultimate example of that long-suffering, though, is Jesus on the cross. As he cried out, Father, forgive them. Imagine that. And that is the idea here of remaining calm, even in the midst of confrontation and provocation here. And I think this is what James is saying to us. One writer said that neither our circumstances nor people are to upset the person who walks with God. Now, I'm going to have to probably write that down on a big plaque somewhere and keep it somewhere (laughs) where I can see it constantly, right? Oh, me? Yeah, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I, I know you do, right? So anyway... James here, writing, and most likely writing to non-believers, but the lesson for us is to remain faithful uh, here, to be faithful and not envy the riches here uh, that he's describing. Why? Because we know God's judgment is coming. We know God's judgment is coming, and we need to be content with what God has entrusted us with. Amen? And some he's entrusted with more than others. Amen? Oh, me, if you're the others, like me. (laughs) But he has provided everything we need, hasn't he? He has, and I could go on to that. Let me read the text and get into the text for you here. 
uh, because it might take me a while on me. But look what he says here in verse 1 of, of chapter 5. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Now, it's interesting that he's saying go to now. The idea is to come now or to, to listen now, pay attention now. And notice how he addresses them. He addresses them as rich men. Whereas before, he's addressed the church as brothers. And he's referred to them as brothers. And so here is a, a, an, an evidence here that he's talking to lost people. He will go in verse 7 once again. He will say, be patient, therefore, brothers. So once again, he goes back to addressing the church. And so he says, go to now, you rich men, weep and howl. And so the phrase here that he's using is establishing a sharp confrontation. And he's about to describe three sins that they are guilty of. And unless they repent, they are doomed. They will be devoured is what he's going to tell them here. And so it's a very strong passage and he uses some very strong language here to point out those that are trusting in their wealth, those that are trusting in material possessions, those that are depending on anything other than God are doomed to destruction. Amen, preacher. That's good stuff. Stay with me now. Stay with me. It's good, good stuff here. So at the outset here, James is going to declare their future condemnation. God is going to bring His judgment upon them. He describes their end. And so the, the following verses, verses 2 through 6, is going to outline the crimes that they have committed, that the rich have committed uh, against the poor. And that reminds me here of, of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 11. Look at what Paul wrote to Timothy here. He says, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Right? He says, and having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. Be content with what you have, not envious of what you don't have. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? They begin to depend on their wealth. They begin to depend on self. Well, look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. Look what I have achieved. Rather than giving God the credit and giving God the glory uh, for what they have. Look what he says in verse 10. And this verse is often misquoted, as you well know. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money. Putting your trust in the wealth and not into the God that allowed you to have that wealth. Right? That's what he says. He says, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They began to depend on their wealth, depend on their riches, and did what? Departed from the faith. I don't need God. Look at all this stuff I have amassed. Look at all this stuff I have. I don't need God anymore in my life. That's basically what Paul is telling Timothy here. They have pierced them through, themselves through with many sorrows. But you, and here's the key for us, but you, O man or woman of God, flee those things. Run away from those things. And here's what you follow after. Pursue hard after. What he says here, six things here. Righteousness. Being in a right relationship with God. Godliness. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Right? That's what he's saying here. Uh, faith. Keeping your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Love of the brother. Patience. There it is again. And meekness or gentleness. And so all of these things that we're looking at here are tying into what James is saying 
uh, to these lost people here. He says, you rich men weep, mourn, howl. The howl here means to cry out in anguish, to cry out in agony, because you know the destruction that is coming here. So it, it, it depicts, the, as one writer said, the frantic terror of those upon whom God's judgment comes. I don't know about you, but I, I do know this. I know that one day we're all going to stand before God. We're all going to stand before God, uh, whether we want to or not. And I don't know about you, but it would be a, a, a terrible thing to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, we read about hell. We talk about hell. We preach about hell. Some don't, but some do. Uh, uh, and, and the, the tragedy of hell, the horrors of hell. And I think when we read about those things and we think about those things, we can kind of imagine in our mind how awful it will be, but we have no idea how awful it will be. I think it will be much worse than anything we have ever thought or imagined. Much like I've said about heaven, we read about heaven, we think about heaven, the glory, the beauty, uh, the splendor of heaven, and we conjure up those images in our mind. But I think it's going to be far greater than anything we can ever think or imagine. Why? Because our mind is human, it's finite, it's limited. We don't understand the mysteries of God. And it's going to be a great thing. And, and here James says that they will weep, they will howl, they're going to shriek, they're going to cry out. Because of the judgment that has come upon them. They've lived their life in a way that they thought would be easy. In a way that would be pleasing. But then the end is destruction. As he says that your miseries that are coming upon you. It's a sure thing. Judgment is coming. And so I've kind of taken my title this morning from Matthew chapter 16. As you might have guessed. And I want to read these verses to you right now. Uh, because it, it goes right along with what Jesus is saying here. Verse 24, Matthew 16, Jesus said un, unto his disciples, those that were following him, those that had put their trust in him, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow him. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And here's the key, verse 26. For what is a man profited? What good is it if a man should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Oh, you see, there are those that are living in luxury now. They're living in pleasure now. They're seeking after pleasure. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, from the book of James, uh, and they're living that lifestyle now, and they're thinking everything's grand and everything's great. But when they come to the end of life and they take that final breath and they stand before God, if they leave this world without Jesus, it's going to be total loss for them. Total misery and agony. Listen, for all eternity... We talk about heaven being eternal and eternal life with our Lord Jesus Christ. But do you realize that hell is just as eternal? It's just as eternal. Eternal damnation. And so Jesus says, For what shall a man be profited? What, will he, what good is it to him if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, 
And then he shall reward every man according to his works. What's Jesus talking about here? His second coming. His return. He's coming again, folks. He's coming again. And whether he calls us home or whether he comes, he's coming. And there's going to be a day of reckoning. And like I said earlier, we're all going to stand before God. And if we fit into any of this, these three categories that we're about to describe here next uh, that James writes about, it won't be fun. And it won't be pretty. And once you cross over, as Luke tells us, there's a great gulf fixed. And you cannot cross back into you. So you need to fix it and get it right with God today while there's breath, while there's life. So James here presents three charges against these uh, rich people. And the first one we find here in verses 2 and 3, and that is he condemns their, their worldly goods, their, their um, uh, confidence in their worldly goods. Look at what he says. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. You shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. What's he talking about? The coming judgment. The judgment that is coming. So he says here that your, your riches here, uh, they, are, they are corrupted here. And, and the idea here, uh, their wealth, uh, the idea of corrupted is, is, is it is rotted, it is decayed. Uh, many people think it's talking about their agriculture, their, their crops and the things uh, that they're storing up. And, and it is going to rot in the field is what James is saying here. It is corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Those fine clothes, remember, when we look back in, in chapter 2, uh, verse 2, look what he said in chapter 2, verse 2. If there come unto your, your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, maybe some writers think that James is referring back to that incident, and it may be. Uh, he comes in in goodly apparel. There's also a poor man in vile raiment. So the, the rich man has come in and all his fine clothing and everything. Look what James says is going to happen to it. It's going to be eaten up by the moths. It will not last. And then he says, your gold, your silver is cankered. The idea is to, to rust, to decay. The rust of them shall be a witness against you. How have they amassed all of these things? He's going to tell us in verse 4. We'll get there in just a moment. But you and I both know gold and silver is precious metals. They do not decay, do they? They do not rust. So why would James say here that the gold uh, here, the silver, is going to rust? It's going to decay. What he's saying here is you're putting your, your hope, you're putting your faith, you're putting your, your trust in your riches, something that is temporal, something that is not going to last, something that, as we looked at what Paul said to Timothy, you're not going to take it with you. You came in without it, you're going to leave without it uh, here. And so James is saying here that these things are going to decay, that your riches, it's going to rot your garments are going to be eat up. Your gold and silver is going to rust away. What did Jesus say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where what? Moth and rust decay. Right? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? You walk worthy of the Lord in a way that is pleasing to Him. You keep your eyes on Jesus 
and you walk by faith and not by sight. Amen, preacher, preach on. That's some good stuff. It is good stuff, isn't it? And so their wealth is corrupted. Interestingly, these uh, terms that he's using here for corrupted and moth-eaten and cankered, they're present tense verbs. So what does that mean? Or perfect tense verbs, I'm sorry. Perfect tense verbs means it's a, a done deal. It's completed action. It speaks to the permanency of what is going to take place. And so he says here that your, your riches, the, 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 they're going to rot in the field. Your garment's going to be moth-eaten. Your gold is going to be cankered. And then look at, look at what he says. That will be a witness against you of how you have treated others and mistreated others. It's going to witness against you. It shall eat your flesh as it were a fire. It's going to devour you. It's going to eat you up. It's going to destroy you. Is what he's saying. Why? You have heaped up treasure together for the last days. Now, if we take that very literally, we need to go empty our bank accounts, don't we? All of our savings, all of our CDs, all of uh, That's not what he's saying. Okay? Not what he's saying at all. But the idea of what he is saying here, what he is saying, is they have put their trust, they have put their hope in these treasures. They're storing them up and hoarding them up uh, and not using them to bring honor to God, not using them to help the poor, not using them to help the needy, not using them in any constructive way that would bring glory to God, but just so I can have more, more, and more. And that's the idea that uh, James is talking about here. I, I think I read the passage to you the other day uh, where the, the rich fool, he, he said, I, I will build bigger barns for my crops and my, my, my. Thirteen times he referred to I or my in that passage. And what did the Lord say to him? You fool this night, your soul is required. You don't know when your next breath is coming, do you? We don't know. And here again, uh, James is not condemning the wealth. He's not condemning rich people. He's condemning people that have amassed, amassed their wealth by ill-gotten gain, and they're not using it for anything but their own self-indulgence. They're not using it uh, in any way uh, for the kingdom of God. And so here, that is exactly uh, what James is writing about here. Even the most precious and indestructible metals is going to be destroyed. It's going to decay is what he's saying here. Uh, here, it's, it's going to lose its value here. Uh, the image here of, of the, the, uh, uh, the fire here, the flesh as it were a fire here, uh, is the image of God's judgment uh, that is coming upon them. We see a, an example of that all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Amos. And I encourage you to read the book of Amos uh, because he writes a, a great deal about those who have oppressed the poor. And i just read about three or four verses here to you. Uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, James says, James, uh, Amos, James. <laughs> kind of combo, combo there, right? And, uh, yeah, that's a, another book of the Bible. Now we have 67, I guess. Amos. <laughs> yeah. Y'all were, were going to let me slide with that, weren't you, until I caught it. Amos chapter 3, verse 10. He says, they, for they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their places. They're storing up violence. Storing up robbery is what he's saying. 
uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 11. Look at what he says. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, you take from him burdens of wheat. You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine of them. In other words, they're, they're building for today and putting no, no, no thought, no hope, or no confidence in tomorrow, just like we looked at in the book of James a while back. And they're just worried about what's going on today. Chapter 8, verse 4, he says, Hear this, O ye that swallow up uh, the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fall, saying, When will the new moon be gone? These are all of their feast days, their worship days, all of these things. Uh, he says, They swallow up the needy, uh, they make the poor of the land to fail, and, and here's what they're waiting on. They're waiting on church to get over. Basically, right? Look at what he says. They saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? The Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, uh, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and, and falsifying the balances by deceit. So what are they doing? They're falsifying the scales. They're paying less than what it's worth, right? So they get more gain. But they want to know, and here's the thing. When will church be over so we can get back to business as usual? When will church be over so we can get back to cheating the people? Is basically what, what uh, Amos is saying here. That, look at this. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. They have no concern for the poor. No concern for the needy. The only thing they have concern for is money and wealth. And it doesn't matter how they get it as long as they get it. And so we, you can read the book of Amos. It's... It speaks a whole lot more to what um, uh, God says about their abuse and misuse of the poor uh, than what James is saying here. But that is the idea. The second charge here is in verse 4, and we've alluded to this, we, but here is, it, it is. They have, uh, they have uh, cheated the, the, their workers, defrauded them of their wages. It's what he's saying. Look at what he says. Behold, the hire of the laborers. They have reaped down your fields. They have worked in your fields. They have served you. Look at what he says. But you have kept back by fraud. Well, you come to work for me, and I'll pay you a dollar a day, $10 a day, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, when you come up and say, well, I'm here for my wages, well, no, come back tomorrow, and I'll pay you twice as much tomorrow. I don't quite have it today, but if you'll come back tomorrow, I'll have it. So you come back tomorrow, and you work all day. Well, I haven't had time to go to the bank today, but if you'll come back tomorrow, I don't know about you, but about two days probably do me in, particularly if it's in the backer field, right? Maybe one day, half a day, an hour, ten minutes. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. I have never had the pleasure of experiencing that, but I have watched a lot of you. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyway, but that's the idea. They come and they work. They're promised a wage. And at the end of the day, they're not paid their wages. And this is what James says. They have reaped down your fields. They have worked in your fields, but you have kept back their wages by fraud. You've cheated them out of it. This is how they have amassed all their riches, all their wealth. By cheating people out of it. Look what it, he says. Those wages 
are crying out. They're crying out. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So not only here uh, is their, their treasure going to cry out against them, their wages that were not paid to them is going to cry out against these rich people. And ultimately, the laborers are crying out. And it says here, very interestingly, that their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And it's an Old Testament term, and James is using a lot of Old Testament terminology here. Uh, but it is a picture of God who is the commander of the army. And he's bringing in his army, his host of angels, the, the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And he's coming, and he's not coming to shake their hands for a job well done. He's coming in judgment. And if you want to apply it to the, the New Testament, as James is applying it here, it would be the idea of the Lord Jesus Christ stepping out on the cloud and coming in all His glory and all His might to bring judgment on this world. And I have said this, and I, I have believed this uh, most all my life. I've heard this preached all my life. I've shared it with you for the last almost six years. The, the day of the Lord is at hand. Judgment is coming. And I don't know what you see going on in, in this world when you look outside your window. But what I see is it's getting closer. And I don't know how we can continue on the way we're going, the path we're going as a society. And I'm not just talking about here in America, but worldwide. There seems to be a falling away. Isn't that what prophecy says? In the last days, men will become lovers of themselves. They will turn away from God, turn to themselves, trust in their own self uh, for all that they have and all that they're doing and leave God completely out of the equation. But here it says the cries of these laborers has, have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Listen, he knows what you're going through. He hears the cries of your heart. He knows when you're in pain. He knows when you're struggling. He knows when the circumstances are difficult against you. He knows all these things. And as I said back months ago, this pandemic did not take God by surprise. It's not like, oh, gee, what's going on in the world down there now? What, am I, what can I do? No, God knows. And I think He might be using that to wake us up. The church. You know, there's a segment in our society, they, and I, don't, I haven't read a whole lot, and some of you probably know more about it than I do, but I know they call themselves woke. You know, supposedly they have been enlightened. Uh, seemed like we went through that in the 17th century. I weren't here. Maybe, maybe some of you were. Um, but seemed like there was something about that in the 17th, was it 17th century? Somewhere around there, you historians uh, there, uh, with the enlightenment, you know, people getting enlightened and, and having this new truth. In other words, the Bible, even back then, was outdated. The Word of God didn't really mean what He said. And, and we have now been enlightened. That's what Paul is writing about in the book of Colossians to, about the Gnostics, those who seem to ha or think they have this superior truth, this superior knowledge, and they know more than everybody else, and they, they know how to get to God. And, and if you want to get to God, you have to know all these passwords, all of these things that they are teaching. Listen, the best teacher is this book right here. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. You'll know what's going to take place. You won't know when. We don't know when. We might be here another 10, 20, 50 years. Who knows? 100 years. Who knows? But all I can tell you is when I look at the, uh, the news, very little these days because it's too depressing. 
right? And by the way, whoever stole my antidepressants, I hope you're happy. Um, but uh, <laughs> just messing with you. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, we look at those things, and it is depressing, isn't it? And I, just from my understanding and my studies, I don't know how God can put up with it much longer. I just don't see how. Moses said it so well back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The thoughts of man's heart is on evil continually. And some things never change. Some things never change. And that's where we are. And James says here that your cries, they have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. He knows. He's the Lord of hosts. He is almighty. Maybe a translation says almighty. He is almighty. He is sovereign. He's in control. He's in charge. And one day, at his will, he's going to say, son, go get my children. And that will be it. And we'll be gone. Amen? Hallelujah. Shout it. Verse 5. He says, you have lived in pleasure on the earth. You've been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter here. So they have nourished their hearts. The, the sin here is luxury uh, here. The sin of luxury. This is the third charge here. The sin of luxury. They have, uh, or the second charge, I'm sorry, uh, lived in pleasure. They have been wanton here. Uh, and so the idea here to be wanton is, is that reveling. Lasciviousness, lewdness. And as Peter says in, in 2 Peter, right in the middle of the day, they didn't care. They continued their evil actions right in the middle of the day. And James says here, you've lived in pleasure on the earth. You've reveled, you've lived this lewd lifestyle. You have nursed your hearts. You're seeking to satisfy only yourself. It's what he's saying here. As in a day of Slaughter. They don't even realize God's judgment is coming. And that is the sad part. That is what is so heartbreaking. When you see all of these riots and all of these things that are taking place all across our country. A total lack of respect for God. They're burning His houses down, His houses of worship. Do you realize that? We are not immune to those things. And I know Pastor Joe and I meet every Thursday, and the one thing we pray for at the top of the list is, God, protect this place. God, protect this people. God, help us to stay faithful and focused on what you've called us to do. That should be all of our prayer. That should be our prayer. The day of slaughter is another reference to the day of judgment. And it's not just going to be, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry you did that. Don't do that anymore. It's going to be a day of reckoning. God's judgment is not going to be pretty here. Maybe James here talking about how they have lived in pleasure. They have lived reckless lives. Maybe it goes back to chapter 1, verse 27. What did he say there? Pure religion. This is how you live your life. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. What? 
to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. The widows and the orphans, to visit them, to take care of them in their affliction. To keep himself unspotted from the world. We do not see that happening here in James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6, do we? We see the exact opposite. Living for self. Here's the third charge, verse 6. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. So here the third charge is they have killed the just, or killed the righteous, as some translations may say. It's interesting that that word just or righteous is singular in the Greek. And many scholars think it's pointing to Jesus, which may be. I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You have condemned and killed the just. Jesus. And he did not even resist. Right? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Amen? And so, James here is condemning their abuse, their misuse of their wealth. And the thing is, you can't miss it. God's judgment is coming. And it's going to be swift, and it's going to be complete. And I've heard this said, and maybe I've said it to you before. God's taking notes. He's taking notes. And he knows what's going on in this world. And he knows who the unjust are. And he knows who the righteous are. And we're going to stand before him one day. But you know what he's going to say to those of us who have lived a life that uh, is walking worthy of the Lord? Come in. Enter into the joy of your rest. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Amen. But if you're on the other side, you know what he's going to say? Depart. I never knew you. I don't want to hear those words. And I pray you don't either. Let's pray together. Father, we just bow before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the time we've had to come and to share your word today. We thank you for those that are here. Those that have listened via Facebook. Father, we just pray today that you would challenge us with these words, that we would examine our heart. Father, that while you do not condemn the wealth in itself, Father, help us to use what you have entrusted us with to bring glory and honor to your name. Father, I pray that if there's one here this day that is not in a right relationship with you, may today be the day of restoration and reconciliation. Father, help us today to put aside the cares of the world and to focus our attention upon you. And Father, let you have your will and your way in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.